All right, good morning. If you guys want to turn your Bibles to Romans uh, chapter 12, that's where our lesson will be out of today. Romans chapter 12. So Romans chapter 12, and to be honest, I I was a little nervous kind of trying to do a lesson on Romans because I feel that's one of uh, Larry's books that he really loves and quotes from a lot, right? Uh, What is it, Romans (laughs) 8.29? So... Um, but Larry isn't here, so I'll give it a shot. <laughs> so we're going to look at a few things in Romans chapter 12. Um, pretty obvious. Uh, one, what should we become? Why should we become that thing? How do we become it? And then what does that look like? <clears throat> so if you go to Romans chapter 12, we'll just read verse 1. And it reads, I beseech you, therefore, brethren... By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So what does he want the brethren to become? A living sacrifice. So what's a sacrifice? Uh, One of the definitions is the act of slaughtering an animal or person or surrendering a possession as offering to God or to divine or supernatural figure. Another definition I really like is Surrender of something for the sake of something else, which I think kind of fits more into this. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse 13. It says, And do not present your members as an instrument of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as an instrument of righteousness to God. We offer ourselves up to God, right? And that's not part of us, but all of us, right? I'm not, I'm not just going to give my heart to God, but not my mind, right? I'll give my hands, my eyes to God, but not my tongue, right? What I say is mine, and it's up to me. And I was, as I was writing that, I was like, okay, that sounds ridiculous. But I think the point is there, right? What's, what's the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Does that sound like someone who is dedicated to God sometimes or when they want to or when it's convenient? I don't think so. Romans chapter 6, back to verse 13. And do not present your members as an instrument of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but not under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? When you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of one you obey. So I think it's laying it out pretty simple for us, right? You're either slave to sin, which leads to death, or slave to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So I want to focus on that word slave for a second, because we know it has that definition, illustration of being forced to do something that you aren't necessarily wanting to do, but it's more of someone's telling you to do something, being forced to do something. But really, that's not necessarily all bad right 
Sometimes we need someone to jumpstart us and tell us what to do, right? We're fighting with our fleshly desires versus what God needs us to do. So just because I want to act on what I want to do and God is telling us to do something else, I, it could, in a sense, be looked at as, you know, God is forcing me to be better, right? But that, in a sense, isn't all bad. The idea that we can do whatever we want on this earth, that's nothing new, right? Bossy doesn't make it right. As God's children, we are held to a higher standard. And does that mean you're being forced a little bit? Sort of in a sense, but it's not in the physical sense as we kind of picture it as, right? Um, to do something. So, for example, right, you want the prize. You're, you're trying to shoot for a prize. You're going to be forced to do what needs to be, got, be done to get that prize, right? So, you want to run a marathon, you'll be forced to train. You'll be forced to eat right. You'll be forced to take time aside to run so you can run a marathon. Now, do you have to run that marathon? No, right? That's up to you. Now, I'm putting time into this because it's, I think it's kind of important, right? Because in today's world, God has looked at some evil dictator that uh, instead of someone who is offering up an amazing opportunity, right? But that's going to require us to do what needs to be done. And that's being a slave to God and giving yourself up as a living sacrifice, right? Sometimes doing the right thing can be uncomfortable. Sometimes it can be hard and sometimes it's just not easy at all. So for example, right, you think of Jesus was when he was going to the cross, was he like... Let's go to the cross, guys. Like, it was easy. Like, right? He wasn't singing no songs. He wasn't super happy about it. I think at times it was, it was quite opposite. I think it was hard. And I think it, was, it wasn't easy for him. And it definitely was uncomfortable at times, right? You want to be the savior of the world? Well, you're going to have to do some things, right? You're going to be forced to do some things. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36. It says, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be very sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot pass for me, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping. For their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Jesus was very sorrowful, even unto death. He was deeply grieved, overwhelmed with sorrow. Knowing his relationship with his God, his father is about to be severed. That had to be hard, right? He prays the same thing over and over and over again. Jesus knows what's about to come. And what he needs to go through. Jesus shows us 
how to acknowledge our most agonizing feelings while still walking in obedience to the God who has put us on our path. So when you present yourself a living sacrifice to God and a slave to obeying him, that means you're at God's full disposal to be available and willing to obey God in whatever he asks or commands of us. So now we got to back up, right? We have to ask why. Why should we be a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable to him? Well, if we go back to verse 1, Romans chapter 12, uh, we know it says there, it says in the first word, I beseech you, the first sentence, sorry, I beseech you, therefore. We know what that means, right? It's therefore reasons. We've got to look back at what he was talking about. Uh, so go to Romans chapter 11. Uh, well, I'm going to read starting in verse 29 and finish back in chapter 12. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience. Even so, these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown to you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counsel, his counselor, or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God which is your reasonable service. So his, his gifts are what? What did it say in, uh, in verse 29? His gifts are irrevocable to us. He has faithfulness towards us. Even though we were disobedient, he has given us mercy. We have received mercy from God. He is withholding what we deserve for being disobedient. Right? Go to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has been disobedient. Everyone has missed the mark one too many times. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Let's continue reading verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, there's grace in the picture, right? Now, even though y'all have missed the mark multiple times, have sinned against our Savior, we are being saved by giving us what we don't deserve, His Son. Let's continue verse 25. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So you know what? God is extending his grace to man through the redemptive life and sacrificial death of his son. But it doesn't stop there, right? And God's like, I got more for you guys. Romans 8. Romans 8, uh, starting verse 35. And that was the scripture reading today. Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or pearl or, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us. From the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So what's he saying? Nothing. And he means nothing can separate us from the love of God. Go back to verse 31 in the same chapter. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If we have God, nothing and no one can be against us. Let's back up to uh, verse 1 in the same chapter. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So don't we just read that already in verse 39? He's saying the same thing. It's like, just in case you forget, right? I'm going to start this chapter saying one thing. I'm going to finish the same, the exact same thing. Those of us in Jesus... Those trying, those not living of the world and flesh, there's no condemnation. Nothing can separate you from God and his love. So why should we become a living sacrifice? Because he has given us grace through his son, whom we don't deserve. He has given us mercy, withholding punishment and condemnation from us that we do deserve. And through his love that is everlasting, we can never be separated or severed. If we are in Christ Jesus. So let's go back to chapter 12. So. So here's the how right. In verse 2. How can we be a living sacrifice? Uh, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world. And be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So how do we become a living sacrifice? I love the word it used in verse 2, the word conformed, right? Do you do not be conformed, right? Do not comply with the rules, with the standards set by society. Sounds kind of familiar, especially nowadays, right? There's this social pressure that you must comply to the norms, especially today. If not, then, right, X, Y, and Z is going to happen to you. But God says, don't do it. Don't, don't comply. Don't comply to the norms. Do not be conformed to this world. As hard as it can be, God's been pleading with us. And he's been saying the same thing since the beginning of time. So this is nothing new. It just seems like there's extra pressures added today, right? God has always wanted us to stand apart, to be different. And I think he's wanting us to make it obvious, right? Not obnoxious, because... That's a little different, but obvious, right? Two different things. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. We all know these verses. Matthew chapter 5. I'm start reading verse 14. <clears throat> you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they, nor... Do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand? 
and gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. A town on a hill cannot be hidden. So I don't, I don't think Jesus is making reference to a church building here or location or where to put a building, right? He's talking about the individual you. Where, where are we right now in chapter 5, right? It's the Sermon on the Mount. If you back up to verses 1 through 2, it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. When he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. So he gets to the Beatitudes. He's explaining the ideal way that we should be for God's kingdom, right? And because how we are, how we should act, there's going to be persecution, as it says in verses 11 through 12. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. But then he gets to verse 13 and says, guess what? You know what that means in verse 13? It means you're not conforming to this world and what they want you to be. You are the salt of the earth. You're standing out. It's obvious who you are. You're being different. But he says, but be careful, because if you lose that, you're no longer good for anything. Then he goes back to making that distinction. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. So Jesus is literally on a mountainside right now. Right. And I think he's just making that illustration that if you put a a city on a hill, you can see it probably from far away. It's going to stand out. It's going to be obvious where it's at. And then he continues down to verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not conform to this world, but let your light shine. They can see it. It's visible. It's not hidden. As a matter of fact, it's so obvious that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. As it says in verse 16. Through your light, You're becoming a beacon of hope. A place where people can go to when they are lost in darkness. Through your light, you're literally leading people to honor God. Inasmuch that they may even be redeemed and transformed to the forgiveness of sins that Jesus provides. And that's what he's saying in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Through your actions, your speech, being transformed, not conformed to this world. You're like salt. It's so obvious who you are. That you stand out like light. He's saying people will come to know God's will through you. So what does everything we've been talking about look like? Right, Being that living sacrifice. Because of who God is and because of who he wants us to be. Well, I think it's easier said than done. But I think he's been explaining it in a very easy way. A very understanding way. He's just been laying it out step by step. Remember, I want you to be a living sacrifice for God. Give yourself to him by not conforming to this world, but by doing God's will so much that people can see him through you. They can see him shining through you. But with all that being said, how are we going to do it, right? What's going to be different for everybody, but first, in order for this to work, you got to 
understand a few things, right? So Romans chapter 12, now in verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So this is just an honest assessment of yourself, right? And know that we're all at different levels of our faith. And that's okay. That's perfectly fine because it's not about us. It's about something greater. It's about something bigger. Verses 4 through 5. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. We are at different levels of our faith, which God understands. We are part of a body, which means we all have different functions and different responsibilities, which God has given us. Which means what? It means that you have a function, you have an ability, you have a talent. And God not only wants you to use them, but I think he expects you to use those talents and abilities to serve him in order for this and all of this to work, right? Remember the parable of the talents? Jesus used the parable of talents to help us understand our calling as Christians and our responsibility to use what God has given us to bring him glory and honor. The gift is for us to share with others through our words and action. Jesus tells the story of the rich man who has three slaves. He gives each slave an amount of money referred to as a talent and possibly talents of gold based upon the man's ability to steward and care for the money. The first steward is given five talents, the second is given two talents, and the third is given one. The master told them to care for his money, and the first two servants used the talents to trade and gain profit. They returned to their masters with double the talents. The third servant was fearful and hid the one talent he was trusted with, returning just one talent to his master. The, ma- the master scolded him for saying that he should have invested the money and received interest. And I think, <clears throat> I think the hardest part of all this, of the parable of the, the talents, is that it can be a hard pill to swallow, to be scolded for doing nothing, right? Like, what, what did I do? I did nothing wrong. That's the point, though. God has given each of us a talent, a, a skill set, a gift. And if you are to serve him, you got to use that gift, regardless of how small or how big your ability seems, right? So let's finish off in verse 6 through 8. And this kind of just ties everything together. And I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. I think it just, it just spells it out pretty simple, right? Uh, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 6. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. I think you could just make a whole nother lesson off of just those two verses. But these verses tell me many things, right? The first thing it tells me is, like we've talked about, we're all at different levels of our faith. And we all have different abilities. The second thing it tells me is there's a wide range of abilities, and it's not just public speaking, right? I love the examples they use. Hey, if your talent is giving money, 
Keep doing it. Keep doing it more. Be generous. Hey, and give some to Edwin too, you know? <laughs> if you're an amazing encourager, go, this is my example, right? Go stand in the back, whatever. Keep encouraging others. Keep doing it. Be amazing at it. If you teach, keep doing it and do it well. The third thing this is showing me is these examples show me that with the wide range of abilities, some may seem not as significant and others may seem very important to us. But to God, we each have a different skill set and that God has given us the ability for all those. And to him, it's all equal. I think that's pretty important to realize. The fourth thing it tells me, and like I said, I mentioned it before, right? I may be wrong, but regardless of the ability and the level of talent you have, I do believe that God doesn't feel remorse for those who don't want to use their gifts for him. I believe God expects you to use it. The way he explains these abilities, at least in the version that I read from the New Living Translation, it's not, he's not saying it like, hey, if your gift is to teach, you know, really think about it. You know, really put some time apart and, you know, you know, so you can teach and share it with others. He doesn't say, hey, if your ability is to give money, think about how much money you can give and give. He doesn't say, if God has given you leadership abilities, you know, really think about it and be a leader. I think the assumption in these verses is there that you're already using those abilities. And he wants to push you a step farther to do it well. Be good at it. Take it seriously. Because if not, as we've talked about, people may not see God's will through you if you aren't living out the gifts he has given us or he's given you. So I want to finish off, finishing out the chapter. Uh, I'm just going to read it because we'll be here forever. Uh, So verse 9, we'll just finish out through the rest of the chapter. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. And be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honoring and honor giving perfect, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, continually, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints given to the hospital. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regarding have regard for those for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine. I'll repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So what's he saying? With love in your heart for one another, you devote your life to God, and it's going to change your life. What has God always wanted from us? I'm going to do it. I'm going to quote it. Romans 8, 29, right? I think Larry's spidey sense is probably going off in Florida. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. 
in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. It has always been in the books for us to be like Christ. He's always wanted us to be like him and live a life of Christ. So I urge you to keep striving to be a living sacrifice, to give yourself as a slave to righteousness, to keep working and using your abilities for Christ. And that starts by turning your life over to him, confessing that Jesus is the son of God and being baptized for the remissions of your sins. Or if your work in Jesus or life hasn't been eye to eye as God wants, we're here for you. So either way, come forward as together we stand and sing.